Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, August 22nd. The week before a major is always a tricky spot for tennis fans, particularly given the fact we all just enjoyed an entertaining, but dare I say fatiguing, Two weeks of 1,000-level action in Canada and Cincinnati. Of course, now we're all eagerly anticipating the start of the year's final major, the 2023 U.S. Open. That said, on today's show, I want to make the case for why you should be following this week's tour-level action, why this week before a major is going to be a fun one. Of course, we have two tour-level events on the calendar, the men competing in Winston-Salem, the women competing in Cleveland. I want to focus on that Tennis in the Land event in Cleveland in particular. Why, you might ask? Well, it's because I get to serve as MC of the event. So fortunate, so privileged, so honored to be asked back by our friends at Top Notch Management. Of course, in that capacity, I get to sit courtside for all of the center court matches. I've already watched 10-plus fascinating battles. I've got thoughts for all of you on today's show. I want to break down that draw, talk about the things you all should be watching for, of course, then I do want to offer you a at least superficial glance at where things stand right now in Winston-Salem. Excuse me, we'll go deeper into that event as this podcast progresses throughout the course of the week. Now, I'm well aware you all are wondering what are my thoughts heading into the U.S. Open, or at least that's what I really hope all of you listeners are wondering. I imagine you continue to tune in to hear my thoughts. I, of course, always want to hear yours. You can tweet Instagram at A.L. Gruskin at Cracked Rackets. U.S. Open content will be housed on the Great Shot podcast feed. Our dear contributor, Damian Kust, already offering his thoughts, a preview of U.S. Open qualifying, which, of course, is going on this week, and we'll have thoughts on that throughout the course of the week on this show as well. All of our U.S. Open preview content, though, contenders, dark horses, Americans, draw breakdowns, that'll all be housed on the Great Shot podcast feed this week. The mini break going to be focused on Cleveland and Winston-Salem. So as always, like, rate, subscribe, review to all of our Crack Racket shows. You can find our podcasts wherever you listen to your podcasts or on our website, crackrackets.com. All that said, once again, I am on a time crunch trying to record these episodes always between the day and evening sessions here in Cleveland. So with that in mind, let's get into our two tour level events on the calendar this week. Let's start with tennis in the land. It's a sneaky loaded draw considering it's a week before the major. And no, we don't have Iga. We don't have Sabalenka. No Goff. No Pagula. We have a top 10 player in Caroline Garcia, and for what it's worth, I just watched Garcia earn a tricky 7-6-6-3 victory over Peyton Stearns to advance to her eighth quarterfinal of the season. She blitzed Linda Fruvertova 6-3-6-2 in her opening round match yesterday. In person is what you see on your screen. Garcia plays with pace, aggression, that simply put— can overwhelm an opponent. And while I think Linda Fruvertova strikes the ball beautifully, I love her ability to construct points. I love the connective tissue, dare I say, between every shot that she hits. She had no opportunities to play on her front foot against Caroline Garcia. And, you know, again, Fruvertova is 18 years old. So when I say I think she needs to continue to work on her movement, she's not the most explosive, though she does anticipate very, very well. That's something I think is going to just come with age, come with more time in the gym, come with 
just an additional three, four years of adjusting to tour-level pace. That said, she was not able to challenge Garcia at all in Garcia's opening round victory. Peyton Stearns was, though. And Stern served for the opening set up 5-4. Now, Garcia connected on a couple of returns in that game, though Stearns did miss a sloppy. She didn't miss a sloppy first forehand. She had a, a net cord incident, so there was an easy pass there. And then, you know, again, uh, Garcia came up with, with the goods. She hit this one beautiful little short-angle dink backhand cross court as Stearns tried to press forward. Stearns unable to do anything with that volley. Garcia breaks back for 5-all. She was on her front foot from there. And look, it is one speed. And Peyton Stearns, particularly in the first set, had a lot of success getting that serve into the body of Garcia, just jamming her. And then, of course, opening things up with her first forehand. And, oh, man, look, I've watched a lot of Peyton Stearns over over my time, obviously during her college career, 2021 NCAA singles champion, who, by the way, has consolidated a spot in the top 60, was, you know, one hold away from being a set away from her fourth tour-level quarterfinal of the season. That's a top 50 sort of number. But Garcia was better. Like Garcia was a little bit more comfortable moving forward. Garcia was a little bit more successful extending into her backhand, stepping into it, doing damage with it. Again, when she does connect on the return of serve, it can just be so explosive. This is a much-needed two-match stretch for Caroline Garcia to get to a quarterfinal here because, again, first-round exits to her, to Kostyuk, to Bozhkova, and to, excuse me, three, Sloan Stevens in Washington, Montreal, and Cincinnati, respectively. You know, she hasn't faced a top 40 player yet the way she did in those three matches, but she's advanced in straight sets comfortably over a player outside the top 40, and more likely than not, that's who she's going to face in her first two rounds of play at the U.S. Open. So the ship has been steadied. The serve looks good. She is tall in person. Like, you just get, I, this is so stupid. I was going to say, and I don't censor my, you know, again, you guys are the listeners, so you want to hear this sort of content. I think I'm still a hair taller, but I maybe not even a hair. What is Caroline Garcia listed at? Oh, this is so irrelevant. I apologize for getting sidetracked and wasting precious seconds. Yeah, she's 5'10". I'm clearly taller, but she's tall. It's just noticeable in person for what it's worth. These are the observations I the astute things you get here, that sort of analysis at the mini break when we're on site. Garcia through to the quarterfinals. That's the biggest storyline is she's got serious points to defend. What was it? Quarters of the U.S. Open last year. Obviously, she won the tour finals as well. She's 20th right now in the points race, maybe 19th after her victory today. You know, World Tour finals, getting back there is one thing, but sustaining a top 10 spot. Pressure is now on, and obviously three missed opportunities, D.C., Cincinnati, Canada. She's here in Cleveland. She's getting matches under her belt. Looked good in doing so. She gets a three-set win over Stearns. Will now face Ju Lin, who I won't lie, has been on the outer courts. But after what was a struggle on the natural surfaces, Ju Lin, who, of course, had as good a month of January as just about anyone, starting to find her footing. Another quarterfinal under her belt that'll keep her in the top 100 for sure. Uh when obviously she'll have a ton of points to defend at the start of next season. Bottom half of, uh, you know, to just keep rolling through, ECAT was fine, but ultimately a straight set win over Patricia Teague. She talked about dealing with injuries of late, says she's finally feeling healthy, feeling fit. She's going to take on last year's finalist, Alexandra Sasnovich, who came back from five love down in the third set to knock off Emma Navarro. 
Sasnovich is aggressive. She'll take that ball early on the rise, gun the backhand. She was in jeopardy. She was at 95 in the live rankings entering the week with those finals points coming off of her belt. Now, she's only won one match. She's back into the top 90. ECAT, a really tough test. That'll be a fun one. Uh, Wang Xinyu through to the quarterfinals today, a victory over Paolini. She also got a three-set win yesterday over Clara Burel. I love the 21-year-old's ability to step inside the baseline, to hold her ground. She doesn't hit the most massive ball, but she uses, you know, the weight of the shot is heavy. She Again, she beats you to the spot by holding her ground so well. That forehand is absolutely a weapon. I just, you know, again, I'm not saying it's Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club style weapon is what I'm trying to say though it is very good. Sixth quarterfinal of her career, first quarterfinal for her at any level since uh, February. Quietly at a career high right now, inside the top 56 for the first time in her career. Gets you in the ball game at a minimum. You're playing qualifying at all of the big events. She's through the quarterfinals. She'll face the winner of Alexandrova and Sasnovich. Bottom half of the draw, a little less decided. Sloan Stevens last night beats not only Lauren Davis, but a rollicking. Cleveland crowd and look it's not that they were anti-Sloan they were just pro Lauren Davis who is from Green Mills Ohio which I think is like 10 15 20 minutes from the city that might be completely wrong I don't know Ohio geography um I mean I, I kind of know Ohio geography I don't know it well enough to be like oh yeah you mean that city that suburb I can tell you about the Cuyahoga River now which this site runs right by <coughs> excuse me and unfortunately I'm not going to be able to edit out that cough because we're on the road here. We're moving, so we're going to post this directly. Um, shout out to Westoff, though, as always. Rapid fire through the round of uh, 32 first-round takeaways elsewhere in Cleveland, just because, again, I got to see a lot of these matches. Lauren Davis blitzes Sloan Stevens 6-1, and then Sloan just locked in. I think she made three unforced errors in the second set. You know, you could tell Lauren Davis has kind of been struggling with an elbow injury a little bit and just was not able to manufacture much, much pace in set number two, uh, three. Sloan is through in three sets, one six six three six one. Sloan inching closer and closer uh, to getting back into the top 35, back towards the top 30 uh, shot at uh, her first quarterfinal of the season, I believe, since what I want to say, Rabat, yeah, before Roland Garros. She makes fourth round there. Second round Wimbledon. First round exit in Washington, round of 16 Montreal, round of 16 Cincinnati. Sloan's playing some ball. Uh, again, starting to right the ship, keep herself in that top 50, top 35 hunt. She could be seated come the Australian Open next year. And again, I think that would be a step in the right direction for the 30-year-old American. She's going to take on Mira Andreeva. That match is going to be electric tomorrow. And I didn't get to see Andreeva because she was on an outer court. Venus Williams withdrawing, so she ended up facing the lucky loser, Corpot. She wins 7-5 in the third. Um, shout out to Mira Andreeva. I'm excited to see her in person tomorrow. I'll give you the full breakdown then. Cerebez Tormo advances in straight sets. She was on an outer court. Kalanina on an outer court. Uh, last three rapid fire here. Kurmatova was awful in the first set against Podoroska, but quickly righted the ship again in those nighttime conditions. It was just so hard for Podoroska to hit through this Cleveland court. 3-6-6-2-6-1, Kudermatova advances. Last two are the most notable heading into the U.S. Open, and if you watch T2 second serve program, Jeff Chisver, Nick Monroe, Mike Haston, the producer, do such an excellent job. Um, they called me, and they, you know, they had me on as one of their guests yesterday. I've been fortunate to do the show enough in the past, so... I think they like me. Um, anyways, 
they asked me for the dark horses. What are the things I'm watching for? And I said there are two names in one matchup. Layla Fernandez versus Clara Tawson. That matchup's coming up here Tuesday night. Oh my God, was Layla good against Linda Naskova. Now, Naskova was misfiring, but she just could not hurt Layla Fernandez. And look, Naskova beat a final in Prague a couple of weeks ago. Played a really fun match. What was it against? Was it against Sabalenka? No, no, no. Who she play a really fun match with? Three sets against, uh, excuse me. She beat Samsonova and Kovitova last week in three sets before getting knocked out by Goff in the Cincinnati round of 16. She's played really good ball of late. And Layla Fernandez dusted her. And Layla's ability to take the ball on the rise, her hands, she might have the best set of hands in terms of just, again, feel, touch, that ability to maneuver the ball around the court. She also uses her quickness so well to take that ball a little bit on the rise, beat you to the spot. She can amp things up as well. Just, it was like, she, uh, Naskova has serious weapons, serious weapons. She never got to use them. Fernandez gave her the business, and look, Layla Fernandez has made a final in New York. We all know what she's capable of doing, currently 72 in the world, but has been as high as number 13. Round of 16, Washington. Round of 16, Montreal. Yes, she was knocked out three sets by Navarro and Cincinnati Qualies, but 0-2 win over Noskova, and I'll tell you what, if she beats Clara Tossin tonight, she jumps to right up near the top of my dark horse lists, entering the U.S. Open but Tossin's on that list as well. Oh, you guys know I've drunk in the Clara Tossin Kool-Aid since she started to make her breakthrough run. Not the run at the 2022 Australian Open where she blitzes Contave. Yes, that's the signature run, dare I say, for Clara Tossin. But she was killing it at the ITF level 2021. Obviously, 2022, uh, or excuse me, start of 2021, then end of the year, Chicago 125K, Luxembourg, Cormayor. She makes a couple of finals, wins a title. The Lyon final at the start of March. I forgot she won that title there. I mean, this is a player that was ranked as high as 33 in the world when she was, what, 19 years old. And yeah, it's just... You know, injuries have been the story for her for much of the last 18 months. She was very open in her post-match press conference. This was one of the first times I felt like myself again. And she earned a top 20 victory over Krejcikova, one of the, I believe, just the second of her career. And, you know, she wins that match in straight sets, 4-1 and one as well. Krejcikova went up an early set, but then everything was Clara Tossin. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You watch Clara Tossin hit backhands. You just want to ask yourself, what have I been doing wrong my entire life? I mean, she just, another player holds her ground so well. Yeah, the forehand grip is funky, but gets outside the ball so impressively, can flatten it out line as well, but can hit that ball high and heavy with serious topspin. Again, I think she's gotten a little quicker. Like, I don't, I thought she was moving well to her corners. Now, it was a bad day for Barbara Krachikova. It it just wasn't working. The approaches weren't working. The second serve wasn't working. It was a rough day at the office. That happens for anyone. Um, obviously, her and Sinyakova still playing the doubles here this week as they are trying to defend their title and find their form heading into the season's home stretch, the world number one pairing, I should mention, in doubles. So we'll get to see her a little bit more this week. But, man, I mean... Tossin was excellent. Like, that's the Clara Tossin we all fell in love with in 2021 in terms of projecting her future. And look, that match is next on center court, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time here Tuesday. I'll give you a full breakdown on tomorrow's podcast. 
that's maybe the match I was looking forward to more than any, even more than Garcia Stearns today. And, you know, again, moving forward, like there's a world where it's Fernandez or Tossin versus Andreva in one semifinal, and then Caroline Garcia versus Alexandrova, two top 25 players in the other quarterfinal. This is a uh, semifinal. This is the week before a major, and that's the quality we're being dealt. All in. Going to be a privilege, pleasure to be courtside each and every day. Tune into some matches. Let me know what you think of my post-match interviewing skills. That said, that's your action in Cleveland. Let's head over now to Winston-Salem. Be a bit more brief in my remarks because, truth be told, I haven't watched a ton of Winston-Salem. Uh, now, it's still very early in the event in terms of you know significant first-round upsets. How about our boy Omni Kumar, the lefty who we got to see a lot of during the USDA SoCal Pro Series 3-6? and six over Arthur Rinderkanesh. He was ripping forehands in that straight set victory last night. Now, that's a that's a tough loss for Rinderkanesh, who'd played really solid tennis the prior four weeks. But man, talk about a lucky loser, Omni Kumar, the low-ranking cutoff, because everyone ranked 110 to 250 is playing U.S. Open Quali, so guys like Kumar and others can sneak into qualifying, gets through the main draw, makes the most of his opportunity. That was certainly a very notable win. Mickelson, Alex Mickelson, the 18-year-old who we saw made the Newport final a couple of, what, a month ago, beats my birthday brother, Juan Pablo Varias, 6-love in the third. I mean, that one hurts my soul, but was impressive to watch. How about the return of Jack Draper? 3-1 and one over Nuno Borges, another guy, Borges, who's dealt with some injuries of late, but still for the lefty Draper, quarterfinals Winnipeg challenger last week. Now a main draw win in Winston-Salem. Again, he hadn't played a match since Roland Garros. Good to see the young lefty back. Obviously can be dangerous when he's in full form. We've seen him make a quarterfinal of a Masters event already, uh, and he's got a serious opportunity to, to gain some confidence, taking on second-seeded talent Greek sport tomorrow in round two. Good win for qualifier Mitchell Kruger. Uh, still hanging tough. He gets a first-round victory, makes the most of his opportunity in terms of second-round results. Laszlo Jura is playing good ball. He gets a straight set win. Mickelson, 6-5 and five over Sebastian Ofner. So he's through to, what, another round of 16 and inching closer and closer to a top 100 berth. Good win from Baez, a rare hardcourt victory, 6-4 in the third over Guyon. Gasquet, 4-4 four four over Hoosler. That's a good win considering the big lefty Hoosler with his serve. Kind of a matchup nightmare for Gasquet. Fuchovic over Zhang Zhizhen. Purcell continues his strong form. He knocks off the lucky loser, Kuznetsov, to advance to the round of 16. I mean, look, what what to watch for this week? How about Borna Chorich, who's just looking to find any sort of return to form after getting knocked out, you know, round two, Cincinnati, first round Canada. Now, he did make a semifinal in Los Cabos, but first round exits in all three of the grass court events that he played. Looking for some rhythm heading into the U.S. Open. Has an opportunity, obviously, taking on Rinki Hichikata in round number one. Hichikata, two wins away from a top 100 debut. and uh, Excuse me, one win away. Uh, no, no, two wins away. Got a win over Ilya Marchenka, though, to advance to round two of this event. You like American tennis? Michael Moe versus Marcos Giron. Love that one. Vukic versus Van Asha. That's really fun. I know we had uh, Arthur Fee. Knocked out in a thrilling three-set battle by Brandon Nakashima. I haven't seen the full match. I haven't gone back, excuse me, to watch the full highlights from that one yet, but certainly I will. Again, in terms of storylines, that's a really good win for Nakashima, who needed a win and 
is just so dangerous in the three out of five format because he's so fit. He's always in the fight. If he's confident, he's got a real shot against Gasquet tomorrow to get to a quarterfinal. Look out, or on, yeah, tomorrow to get to a quarterfinal. But there are three storylines I would say I'm watching for. One, Borna Chorich, because he has not looked like himself for much of the past two and a half, three months. And I know there's always some lingering issues, but we know what he can be on a hard court when he's at his best. Two is Sebastian Corda. Corda going to take on Benjamin Bonzi to kick off his tournament in the round of 32. Again, a guy who is, I don't know if struggles the right word considering he's coming back from injury, but first round loss Wimbledon. First round loss, Washington. Second round loss, Canada. First round loss to Chorich in Cincinnati. Can he string a couple of matches, a couple of wins together to build up his form? And then I think story number line, storyline number three is Jack Draper. Again, can the 21-year-old Brit get healthy, get back to being on the fringes of that conversation? Now the way Alcaraz, Runa, and Sinner have separated themselves from even a Lorenzo Musetti, you would argue. It's hard to argue that Jack Draper belongs in that conversation, but, <coughs> excuse me, if I'm looking for, you know, four and five in the next gen 2.0, I would say those are probably the two I would have turned to at the start of the year. I would have said, yeah, I probably, no, I, I would have said Musetti and Draper, and honestly, probably not in that order. I would have probably said Draper, then Musetti, you know, obviously Ben Shelton, has worked his way up. The young French teenagers, Luca Van Asha, Arthur Fee in particular, has worked his way up. But Draper belongs in that conversation when healthy, when fit. We've seen it before. And so, yeah, I, I would say those are the—and obviously, Alex Mickelson always has my attention. Talk about another teenager who has been thriving of late. It, it It's always the storyline the week before the major because a lot of ranked guys are off playing qualies and the top dogs are resting— it's opportunities for young, rising talents to test their stuff against their peers at the ATP Tour level with those sorts of pressures. That's exactly what you're going to see in Winston-Salem. We'll break down more of the tactical things that happen, analyze it all throughout the rest of the week. But that's your update, and for what it's worth right now, according to Tennis Abstract, your favorite in Winston-Salem, Borna Chorich, 14%. After that, Lachetschka, 125 uh, Botic. 12.2, Talon Greekspor, 8.6. So again, your top four, Chorich, uh, then Botic, followed by Lachetschka, excuse me, Chorich, Lachetschka, Botic, Greekspor. And Greekspor and Lachetschka would be higher, but they both happen to be in each other's quarters. I guess I'll give you just quickly, by the way, the Cleveland uh, tennis abstract singles forecast as well. Kuder Matova, a 20.9% favorite according to the forecast. Uh, after that, you have Caroline Garcia, 189 Alexandrova, 116 Leila Fernandez, 8.3 after that. So even the analytics are starting to say that Layla's starting to heat up. That said... That's what's going on this week. Again, the week prior to the start of the 2023 U.S. Open. And if you're looking for preview content, it's going to start appearing on the Great Shot podcast over the next few days. So be sure to subscribe, like, rate, review, share with your friends. A shout out, as always, to Westoff for the job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.